Canby New Life Foursquare Church welcomes you. We're located at 2350 Southeast Territorial Road, just off Highway 99E. We hope the following message will be a blessing to you. Yes, we're very glad that you're here to worship the Lord. And uh, in fact, something that you could do if you're new to New Life, there's a white welcome card right in the seat pocket there in front of you. If you'd like to take a moment, fill one out. And uh, later when we share communion together, you can bring that forward and uh, or leave it out at the information center. We'd just love to send you a note in the mail saying, hey, we really appreciate you being here today. Uh, what we're going to be doing this morning is sharing communion a little bit later in the service as after I bring the word to you this morning. And for those of you who've been with us for a while, we've been engaged in a study of the book of Acts and our series theme for this year is uh, the touchable Jesus, touchable church. And this morning I want to talk with you about receiving God's healing grace. And we're going to be looking at a very interesting passage of Scripture. If you have your Bibles, I'd like to encourage you to turn to Acts chapter 3. It's in this chapter that we are going to examine the first miracle that occurred in the life of the early church. This is the first recorded miracle of physical healing. And there's so much that we can learn and glean from this passage. So before we read this passage together, let's pray. And invite the Holy Spirit just to speak to us through the Word of God this morning. Lord Jesus, again, we thank you for your presence here. Lord, we honor you in this place. And we lift up your name, Jesus, that name above every name. And Lord, as we open your Word, I pray that you would open our hearts and that we would hear you speak and build faith in each of us. In Jesus' name, amen. Luke records the following event. He says this, he writes, Now Peter and John went up together to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a certain man, lame from his mother's womb, was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask alms from those who entered the temple, who, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked for alms. And fixing his eyes on him with John, Peter said, look at us. So he gave them his attention, expecting to receive something from them. Then Peter said, silver and gold I do not have. But what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up. And immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. So he, leaping up, stood and walked and entered the temple with them, walking, leaping, and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. Then they knew it was he who sat begging alms at the beautiful gate of the temple. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. What an amazing day. An incredible miracle. And it really begins to prompt a couple of questions that maybe you have asked. I know I have asked them in my lifetime. And the first question is, is, well, why does God heal some people and not others? Or on a more personal level, why doesn't God heal me? I'm sure this is a question that this man who was born lame and had been lame all of his life probably asked more than once. 
He probably even wondered why he was born lame in the first place. Can you imagine what his life would have been like? From a child, he was dependent upon people carrying him around. And now we read that they had to, he had to have friends, hopefully, that were interested enough in him to pick him up and physically carry him every, every day to this gate, this entrance to the temple. And then he was also dependent upon the generosity of people who would pass him by, that they would perhaps find it in their heart to give him a few coins so he could have something to eat each day. What a life. Then there was also the other issue he probably had to deal with, and that was the fact that in those days, if you were sick or you had some deformity, some infirmity, it was believed it's because you sinned or your ancestors had sinned, and now this was God's judgment on you. So living with that stigma, must not, it must have not have been an easy thing for him to do. It's really sad today that some of that theology has even come into the present day. Some people think, oh, well, you're sick, you've got a problem physically or some other way. Well, this is, there must be sin in your life. That's a tragic, judgmental and naive theology because there's always so much more involved than what we think. I think it's still difficult for us today to understand why some people are born the way they are, they have the infirmities they do, and why some people are healed and others aren't. We struggle with these questions even today, and this is really nothing new. In fact, the disciples of Jesus asked the Lord about this very question in John chapter 9, verses 1 through 3. This is a really insightful passage. It says here that as Jesus passed by, he saw a man who was blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus answered, neither this man nor his parents sinned, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. Jesus said, you guys are looking at this thing in a real naive and simplistic way. It's th this man's condition has nothing to do with anything he's done, nor what his parents had done. This man is blind so that God's power could be revealed through him. The Bible goes on to say that Jesus reached out and he touched this man's eyes. And he healed him. And this blind man who had been born blind from birth could now see. Strange to me that the religious leader in Jesus' day somehow overlooked Exodus 4, 10 through 11. It's, a, it's an amazing passage that they didn't include into their theology. You may recall the occasion when God appeared to Moses in the wilderness at the burning bush. And God called to Moses and he said, Moses, I want to send you to Egypt to deliver my people Israel from bondage. And Moses said... God, I think you got the wrong guy. And he, he gave all kinds of excuses why he wasn't qualified. Listen to what Moses said to the Lord. He said, Oh, my Lord, I am not eloquent, neither before nor since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. So the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Or who makes the mute, the deaf, the seeing, or the blind? Have not I, the Lord? 
It may be difficult for us to accept the idea that a loving and merciful God would purposely allow someone to be born with a disability. It's difficult for us because we don't see the whole picture that God sees. God's purposes are much larger than ours. And sometimes he not only works through a person with an infirmity or disability to bring about a healing, but he also may work through them in spite of their infirmity or disability in ways that are far more powerful than if they were healed. We sometimes maybe even get frustrated or angry with God because he doesn't do what we think he ought to do or he doesn't show up when we think he should show up and do what we want him to do. But there's always a bigger picture than we're able to see. Before we move on and talk about these questions and wrestle with this difficult subject, I I want us to get a real accurate mental picture of where this miracle occurred. So I want to bring up a couple of slides that will illustrate where this beautiful gate actually was. This is a diagram of Herod's temple at the time of Jesus. And you'll notice on the far right, there is this beautiful gate. It was the main entrance that you would walk through to get to the outer court where this was sort of the uh, outer court where men and women could gather and worship and present their offerings to the priests. This beautiful gate, um, again, if you were going to be a beggar, you would certainly want to position yourself here. There were other places you could get into the outer court, but this was the most prominent by far. If you look at this next diagram, you'll notice that in the scale model that this beautiful gate here, it was a very large gate. In fact, history records that this gate, this entrance was 60 feet wide, 75 feet tall. And the two doors that were opened and closed every evening and morning were made of solid bronze overlaid, interestingly enough, with silver and gold. That's why they were called the beautiful gates. Everybody knew where the beautiful gates were. So it really makes sense that if you were going to uh, beg for alms, where would you put yourself? Right in the main traffic flow. It's interesting, too, that the north gate had a name, as well as the southern portion of that gate. The north gate was called the gate of repentance. The southern door was the gate of mercy. Interesting. But there's something far more important about this particular gate that we need to understand. What we need to know is that Jesus Christ passed through those gates as a child, as a teenager, as an adult, and countless times during his years of ministry. And he walked right by that lame man and never healed him. The disciples... Walked by this man. Peter and John had walked by this man several times in the days after the day of Pentecost. Walked by this man into the temple to worship. He was there. They laid him how often? Daily. Never felt moved to heal him. Except on this day. Acts chapter 4 verse 22 tells us something else about this man. It says, the man was over 40 years old on whom this miracle of healing had been performed. Over 40 years of age. When we were in the Middle East, it, we noticed that it didn't matter what country you were in, whether it was Albania or Greece, Turkey or Israel, it's not uncommon even today 
seeing people holding out their hands begging for alms. Very common. In fact, uh, some of those who were begging for alms were little children. I think they put these children there because they're more likely to generate a feeling of compassion and generosity. And, and so I have no doubt that this, this man had spent the better part of his life at this gate. Dependent upon the generosity of strangers who passed him by. He was a well-known fixture of the temple area. We also need to take a moment and think about the condition of the man's legs. Okay, we need to get the full picture now. If you had never walked a day in your life and you were over 40 years old, what would your legs look like? Probably little more than skin and bones. No muscular strength. And in the natural, what would you think? There's no way that guy will ever walk. There's no way he could be healed. After all, look at him. But with God, all things are possible. Let me say that again. With God, all things are possible. God actually asked this question. Is there anything too hard for the Lord? He created the entire universe. That's a pretty big deal. So is it such a big deal to heal someone's physical infirmity? By comparison, I don't think so. So it's 9 o'clock in the morning. It's the hour of prayer. Peter and John made this a part of their regular daily worship. Hour of prayer, you get up, you go to the temple, you worship God, you preach, you teach, you share the gospel with the crowds that are gathered there every morning, every evening. But this day would be very different from every other day. They were about to pass by, I think it worked something like this, they were probably talking with each other and they're walking into the temple through the beautiful gate, having their usual conversation, when all of a sudden they come to this lame man And the Holy Spirit stops them in their tracks. Suddenly, they experienced the presence and the anointing of God. And they had experienced that more than once and knew what that felt like. And they immediately recognized God's up to something. God wants to do something. What's He want to do? Now, if you're a layman and you're begging for alms and someone is walking by you and stops, your first thought is, oh, a generous stranger. And at that point, he extends his hand and it says here that he was expecting to receive something from them. What is he expecting? Silver and gold. His daily, something to buy his daily bread with. That's what he's doing. He said, oh boy, There's hope. And then Peter and John, they say something very interesting. Look at us. Fixing their eyes on him, they said, look at us. They are having a Holy Spirit encounter with this man. God is about to touch this man and he doesn't even know what's coming. He thinks it's silver and gold, but God has something to give him that's far more costly, far more precious than something monetary. 
He's about to receive God's healing grace, a priceless gift. The miracles. I actually think there were three miracles that took place in this particular event. Peter said, silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. And let me, let me make sure you get what I'm about to say. Peter gave this man an authoritative, Holy Spirit-inspired command. Stand up, rise up, and walk. And the man sat there. He didn't move. Now, I don't know about you, but if you felt like you had faith for somebody to be healed, and you said, rise up and walk, and they didn't move, you might think, whoops, uh, maybe I miss God here. But I would like for you to see what the gift of faith looks like. One of the nine spiritual gifts is the gift of faith. And what Peter did next demonstrates the faith that God gave him. The scripture says that Peter reached down, grabbed the man by his right hand, and yanked him to his feet, lifted him up. Now, let me just give you this word of caution. Don't be yanking people to their feet and say, rise up and walk in the name of Jesus unless you are absolutely sure this is God. But this is a moment where they know this is God. And it says immediately, immediately as he lifted the man to his feet, Luke, the physician, did you notice the detail? Right hand, his ankle bones, his feet and ankle bones were immediately strengthened in an instant. Now, if you were this lame man, what would you be thinking? Rise up and walk? Is this some kind of cruel joke? I mean, look at me. Look at my legs. There's no way I can walk. And even if I were physically capable of walking, I don't know how to walk. I've never walked a day in my life. I think that's why this verse says, Peter took him by the right hand, lifted him up, and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. So he, notice this, leaping up, stood and walked and entered the temple with him, walking, leaping, and praising God. The three miracles, I think, are these. Number one, the first miracle, is that God gave Peter and John, the faith to believe that God could do the impossible and heal this man as he was about to do. That, to me, is a miracle. That's a gift right there. That they had to believe in the impossible, which certainly seemed impossible, that this man could walk. Second miracle is that the feet and the ankles of this man were instantaneously strengthened so he was physically able to walk. And then the third miracle, I think this is great. Not only did he have the physical capacity now to walk, but he then got up and walked and was jumping up and down in the air with perfect balance. I don't know, how long did it take you to learn to walk? I, th I think it took us months to learn how to walk. So th there's another miracle. How did this guy know how to walk? And he's leaping and jumping up and down in the air. And the crowds are gathering and they're thinking, what in the world happened? 
So an obvious question that we should ask is, well, why did God wait more than 40 years to heal that man? Wouldn't it have been a lot better when he was a child? Could have hung out with his friends and played with his friends or as a young adult where he could go out and marry and have a family and have a, have a job and make an income. Wouldn't that have been better gone? Why wait till the guy's over 40 years old to, to perform this healing? I think the answer is pretty simple. Because God chose this day to be the day for reasons that he knew from the foundation of the world. And the next few verses will explain why this was the day. Why this was the day he chose. In verses 11 of chapter 3 through chapter 4, verse 4, we read the following explanation. It says, Now as the lame man who was healed held on to Peter and John, all the people ran together to them in the porch, which is called Solomon's, greatly amazed. So when Peter saw it, he responded to the people, Men of Israel, why do you marvel at this? Or why do you look so intently at us as though by our own power or godliness we had made this man walk? I want to stop right there. This is an important passage, this sentence right here, because Peter and John just passed a test. What would be the temptation that these apostles could have fallen into at that moment? Oh, yes. We are the mighty power of God. Yes, it was me who reached and pulled him up to his feet. Thank you very much. See, pride is, you know, this is one of the reasons God may not demonstrate some of his power through us today. Because we couldn't handle it. Pride. We, we love the American idols, don't we? We want to find an idol that we can look up to. We can, we can idolize. And what were the people doing? Very same thing. We found some real spiritual giants. Let's worship them. Let's follow them around. But Peter and John passed a very important test. They're saying, hey, look, we weren't the source of this power. Why do you think we're not some kind of super spiritual saints and giants here? It wasn't by our godliness or power we made this man walk. And I love this. Peter seizes the moment. He's got a crowd, so now he's going to preach the gospel. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Please notice that first part. Who is he focusing everybody's attention on? The God of the forefathers who did the work. The God of our fathers glorified his servant Jesus, whom, by the way, you delivered up and denied in the presence of Pilate. When he was determined to let him go, but you denied the Holy One and the just and asked for a murder to be granted to you and killed the Prince of Life whom God raised from the dead of which we are witnesses. Well, that's a little conviction, conviction there, wouldn't you think? You just killed the Savior, the Messiah and the healer. And now he explains the miracle and his name through faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know. Yes, the faith which comes through him has given him this perfect soundness in the presence of you all. Notice that Peter even acknowledged that the faith to believe in the miracle came from God. He's always deferring the glory to God, never drawing it to himself. 
Repent, therefore, and be converted that your sins may be blotted out so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Now, as they spoke to the people, the priests, the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, being greatly disturbed that they taught the people and preached in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they laid hands on them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. However, many of those who heard the word believed and the number of the men came to be about 5,000. So why did God wait? 40 years plus. Why was it this day that God decided to heal this man? The answer is that this was the day that another 2,000 people would be added to the church and the number would go from 3,000 on the day of Pentecost to 5,000. I think if we took a time out right here and we went to heaven with a microphone and found the lame man and say, we want to conduct an interview. We know you were lame for over 40 years. Probably a very difficult time. How do you feel now that God waited so long and didn't heal you until you were over 45 years old? I think that lame man would say, you know, it was worth every day. Because there are 2,000 more people in heaven than there may have been otherwise. That was not such a great price to pay to see 2,000 more souls enter eternity. See, God has a bigger picture. There's a greater purpose, always. I know that when we hurt, and I have been there, when we're in pain, there's there's about only one thing we can think of. What is going to bring me some measure of relief. And this is a natural and normal response. It's understandable. Many of you have asked that question. You know, you deal with this chronic pain or whatever, and, oh, God, I wish I could be healed, and how come I'm not healed, and how come other people are healed and I'm not? Well, if those are some of your questions and struggles, can I encourage you? You're in good company. The Apostle Paul wrestled with the very same question. He experienced a great deal of physical pain in his life and he pleaded with God for relief. 2 Corinthians 12, 1 through 10 is his personal testimony that we can read today about how he dealt with his infirmity. He writes these words. He says, I will reluctantly tell you about visions and revelations from the Lord. I was caught up to the third heaven 14 years ago. Okay, I'm going to stop here because I know I'm going to be barraged with questions after this service. Pastor Al, there's a third heaven? What's the third heaven? So let me just answer all those questions right now. There are three heavens. The first heaven is the atmosphere, the air we breathe. Genesis 1, the birds were flying in the heavens. The second heaven is the realm beyond our atmosphere in space. In Genesis chapter 1, God placed the sun, moon, and stars in the heavens. The third heaven is the abode, the realm of God, the spiritual domain that transcends this physical universe. So where was Paul caught up to? Into the third heaven, into the presence of God. Are we good? Okay, we know the third heaven? Okay. Boy, I could have been here a long time after this. I just, I know what you're thinking, see? All right. Whether I was in my body or out of my body, I don't know. Only God knows. Yes, only God knows whether I was in my body or outside of my body. But I do know that I was caught up to paradise and heard things so astounding that they cannot be expressed in words. Things no human is allowed to tell. So to keep me from becoming proud. I was given a thorn 
in my flesh, some kind of physical affliction, a messenger from Satan to torment me and keep me from becoming proud. Three different times I begged the Lord to take it away. Each time he said, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. Hmm. So now I'm glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. That's why I take pleasure in my weaknesses and in the, lim- in the insults, hardships, persecutions, and troubles that I suffer for Christ. For when I'm weak, then I am strong. You see, Paul experienced something that Job experienced. He, he was afflicted with boils from the top of his head to the soles of his feet. He was in torment for weeks. He begged God, oh, heal me, God, I don't... What is the reason for my infirmity? Why won't you heal me? And God was silent. So why did God allow Satan to afflict Job? Why did God allow the devil, a messenger from Satan, to afflict Paul? In Paul's case, it was to keep him from becoming proud. After all, if you've been in heaven, you saw God... You heard things unlawful to speak about. You had the, the vision of the paradise of God. What would be the temptation? That when you came back to this earth among us mere mortals, you would think you were just a cut above everybody else. After all, you'd been where God is. God says, Paul, for your benefit, I need to keep you humble. Because unless you maintain a humble posture, I can't work through you. Because it's in your weakness, when you it's in your incapability that my ability is able to be seen by others. And you don't get in the way. How about Job? Was it worth it? He lost everything, lost his health. What was his testimony at the end of the book of Job? He says, I have heard of you, God, by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. I repent in dust and ashes. What did Job gain through that entire ordeal? He, didn't know, he, he no longer knew about God. He knew God. Was it worth it? Job would say, absolutely, I wouldn't trade it for anything. I had an encounter and an experience with God that changed my life. Yes, it was costly. Yes, it was painful. But it was worth it. Paul's affliction wasn't due to sin in his life. I don't think Paul had a problem with faith. What's remarkable is that even after this event, God used the Apostle Paul to heal other people even though he wasn't healed. Work that one out in your theology. There's no evidence in the Bible that Paul was ever healed. It was simply a necessary limitation to keep him from becoming proud. How about this lame man? As we look at all of these occasions here in the Bible, we see this lame man was healed after more than 40 years of living with his infirmity. God decided to heal him. Paul wasn't healed. Jesus healed the man who was born blind, and the Lord made it clear that his blindness had nothing to do with sin, either his or his parents. And what's also important to notice is this lame man, 
He didn't even have the faith to be healed. Other people had faith that he could be healed. It was never in his mind that God had an idea to heal him that day. But what we do see is that God does use people to extend his healing grace to touch other people. Jesus touched people, they were healed. Peter, John, many others prayed and they were healed. I want to ask another question. Is it possible for us to limit God by our lack of faith in his ability to heal? Is it possible for us to limit God? In other words, keep God at arm's length in regard to a healing that we need. The answer, I believe, is yes. I want to read a passage from Matthew 13, 54 to 58. It records a very astonishing event in Jesus' ministry. It says, When Jesus had come to his own country, back to the area of northern Galilee, into Nazareth and that territory, he says he taught them in their synagogue so that they were astonished and said, Where did this man get this wisdom and these mighty works? Is this not the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary and his brothers, James, Joseph, Simon, Judas, his sisters? Are they not all with us? Where did this man get all these things? So they were offended at him. But Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his own country and in his own house. Now he did not do many mighty works there because of their unbelief. Wow. In other words, have you heard of that phrase, that expression, familiarity breeds contempt? Uh, we know who this Jesus is. We, we saw him grow up. He's, he's nothing special. He's just another man. They didn't believe that Jesus was the Son of God, the Messiah. And isn't it amazing that because of their refusal to believe in Jesus, they effectively quenched the Spirit of God. And the healing grace that could have been theirs. Amazing. I think if we want to do a thorough treatment of the subject, we need to admit that sometimes our sicknesses and infirmities are the result of our sinful choices. We live in a fallen world. And I think we could safely say that all of us have made some dumb decisions. And we have borne the consequences of those choices in our physical body. There is a law out there called the law of sowing and reaping. If you sow to the flesh, you will of the flesh reap corruption. And so some of the things that we deal with could be actually the result of some of the things that we have done outside of the will of God. I want to give you an example from John chapter 5, 14. This account describes the day when Jesus appeared uh, at the pool of Bethesda. If you know anything about that, that was supposedly a miraculous pool where people who were sick gathered. And there was a kind of a story going around that every once in a while an angel would come and stir up the water. water. And if you were the first one in the pool, you would be miraculously healed. So Jesus found this lame man one day laying there by this pool. And he asked them, uh, do you want to be healed? And the lame man said, well, I don't have anybody to help me into the water. Jesus reached out and touched the man. And this lame man got up and walked away. At that moment, crowds began to gather. And Jesus made a hasty retreat. He got out of there because he knew what was about to happen. They were going to mob him. And so he runs out of the place. 
And later in the day, John 5, 14 tells us what happened. It says, afterward, Jesus found him in the temple. He found this man that had been healed and said to him, See, you have been made well. Sin no more, lest a worse thing come upon you. So in this passage, Jesus is making the connection for us that sometimes our sinful choices can bring about physical consequences in our lives. The Apostle Paul does the same thing in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23 to 32. I think most of us here are familiar with this passage because we read this passage, or a portion of it, when we share communion together. But it's very interesting if you read the entire passage that Paul makes an astonishing statement about physical infirmities in this passage and the time we share at communion. Paul writes these words. He says, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which He was betrayed took bread, and when He had given thanks, He broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, He also took the cup after supper, saying... This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Usually we stop right there. Usually we don't read any further because that's really the meaning behind communion. But Paul goes on to talk about how we approach the table. He says this, Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself. And so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this reason, many are weak and sick among you and many sleep which is a word in the New Testament that exclusively is applied to Christians who die. For if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened by the Lord that we may not be condemned with the world. You see, the Corinthians were Christians who were carnal. There was incest in the church. There was immorality in the church. Drunkenness. All kinds of abuses. People weren't loving each other. They weren't treating each other with brotherly love and kindness. And they were coming to the communion table. They were coming to the table of the Lord. Saying, yes, I believe in Jesus. And yes, they're Christians. But they didn't understand that Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead so that not only we could be forgiven of our sins, but we would have the power to live free from sin. To live a holy life. They didn't get the other part of the message. And Paul says, when you don't examine yourself, when you aren't confessing your sins to the Lord and asking Him to forgive you and cleanse you, you're, bringing, you're inviting judgment on yourself. And for that reason, some of you are weak and sick and some have even died. So examine yourself. Come to the Lord. Come to His table with a clean heart and a clean life. Well, how does that happen? I'll explain in a moment. But let me sum up what we've heard so far about divine healing. First thing, sometimes our sicknesses or infirmities are due to our own selfish, sinful choices. We've seen that in the Scriptures. Secondly, sometimes our sicknesses or infirmities have absolutely nothing to do with our sins or the sins of our ancestors. Thirdly, sometimes God doesn't heal someone 
because of their unbelief. But sometimes God does heal us even though we don't have the faith to believe we can be healed. There are some great men and women in history that God gave them the faith to believe and to pray for people to be healed and thousands were healed. The founder of this denomination of Foursquare, Amy Semple McPherson, they used to haul off crutches and wheelchairs by the dump truck load. People came into those services and they left they came lame. They, they left seeing, hearing, and walking. And she isn't alone. There are others in the Bible and in history ever since that God gave them a gift of faith and a gift of healing. And God worked through them. The Bible says the elders, that God honors the position and office of an elder or a pastor. If you are sick, what do you do? Call on the elders of the church. And the prayer of faith and the anointing with oil will heal the sick and the sins will be forgiven. See, God has made a provision for healing. And lastly, sometimes God heals us simply when we ask Him in faith to meet our needs. Some of you, if we had the time this morning, could give a testimony how you prayed and the symptoms and everything went away. God touched you. And you received and experienced His healing grace. But one of the things I want us to leave with here this morning is God knows what He's doing. God knows absolutely what He's doing when it comes to our healing. If we are, we've confessed our sins, we, we've done all we know to do, we've searched our hearts and we've prayed and we've asked God for healing and and yet, for some reason that we may not understand, we aren't healed. I want to encourage you, keep praying, keep asking. But if God says to you, my grace is sufficient for you, maybe you need to receive those words that he spoke to Paul and receive them for yourself. But if you are in need of physical, emotional, or spiritual healing today and you've never asked or believed that God can heal you, I want to encourage you this morning, pursue God and ask in faith because Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He healed people in the New Testament. He, he, we see that He's continuing to heal in the book of Acts. Jesus is still our healer. And so often, we're simply not willing to humble ourselves and go to Him first. And give Him the opportunity to do what we think is impossible. What with Him is entirely possible. Pursue Him until He tells you, My grace is all you need. At the end of our service, I'm going to invite our pastors and elders and care team members to come forward here. And we're going to pray. We're going to anoint people with oil and pray. And we're going to believe God to heal you. If that's the need that you have. And I want to encourage you to pray with these men and women of faith. If you have a need that you want to bring to the Lord. Please understand. Jesus is the healer here. And he can work through his vessels. So I think it's very fitting that we conclude our service with communion. Don't you? We're going to share the communion table together. But could I encourage you to take Paul's counsel? 
before you come to this table, would you examine yourselves? Would you take spiritual inventory? Would you ask the Holy Spirit, is there something in my life that is hindering me in my relationship with you, Lord? That's what Paul says. Let a man examine himself, and then so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. And here's God's promise to you. If there is something that the Holy Spirit reveals to you, if there's something in your heart, your life, you know that God's convicted you about, this is God's promise to you. That if you confess your sins, God is faithful and just to forgive you and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. That's the power that is in the blood of Jesus Christ. To forgive and to cleanse. You don't pay penance. That's a promise from God who doesn't lie. So as we partake of this bread and this cup together, we're remembering Jesus died so that we could be forgiven and receive the gift of eternal life. In fact, if you're here today and you're not a Christian, you can become a Christian in the next few moments. Right where you are, simply bow your head and in your heart say, God, I confess to you that I have sinned. I am guilty. Jesus, I believe you're the Son of God. I believe you died on the cross and rose from the dead. Jesus, forgive me of my sins. Would you come into my heart and save me today? If you pray that prayer from your heart, I guarantee you, God's promise is that He will not only forgive you, He will save you, and you at that moment will receive the gift of eternal life. Heaven will be your home. That's God's invitation. That's God's offer to you today. And if that's your heart, that's your prayer, you come and share communion with us. Before I close in prayer and pray over our time of communion, I want to inspire us here this morning. I hope the Holy Spirit will inspire you to have faith that God's healing grace could come even to you. And I want to read from Matthew 8, 16 and 17. It says, When evening had come, they brought to Jesus many who were demon-possessed, and He cast out the spirits with a word. And would you repeat this next phrase with me? And healed all who were sick. Would you say that again? And healed all who were sick. That's what Jesus did then. That's what He does today. That it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, He Himself took our infirmities and bore our sicknesses. I am convinced that it's entirely probable that as you come to this table today, God may heal you just as you receive communion. That's what the body and the blood of Jesus reveals. It's not only the forgiveness of sins, it's the healing of all of us, body, soul, and spirit. And so I hope and pray that you will come forward in faith today and meet Jesus. When you come forward, you may also bring your tithes, offerings, put those in the urns. We have boxes in the back. And if you're not able physically for some reason to come forward, let one of our ushers know. We'll bring the elements to you. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you haven't changed. You are faithful. You are the same yesterday, today, and forever. And Lord, I pray for all of us in this room. First of all, Lord, I pray for those who may not know you, who have never experienced your forgiveness. They've never received your salvation. I pray, Lord, that nothing would hinder them or stand in their way 
from opening their hearts and lives to you right now. And Lord Jesus, for those of us who do know you, even now, Lord, would you reveal to us anything that's standing in the way in our lives as we examine our own hearts in your presence. And Lord, as we confess that to you, we thank you, Jesus, that you're more than willing to forgive and to cleanse us, that we may be worthy to partake of the table. So, Lord, we invite the healing grace of the Holy Spirit to fall upon us here in this place for one reason only, that you, Jesus, would be glorified and praised. It's in your worthy name we pray and say together, Amen. You can contact the church office Tuesday through Thursday from 9 to 5 and Fridays from 9 to 3 at 503-266-4444. Please visit us on the web anytime at canbefoursquare.com. Pastor Ron and others on New Life staff, along with occasional guest speakers, trust that the Holy Spirit will use the message to teach you, encourage you, and give you hope.